Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. Um, when you have an opportunity to come, if you're a worker or a volunteer, you know, Becky's been giving us a... What do, you, what do you really call that? A team boost. Every morning before we have prayer together here in the sanctuary. It's, it's just good stuff. And uh, I'm sitting here this morning listening to Becky, and uh, she was talking about not uh, settling. And I thought, I told her afterwards, I said, did you call me or did I call you to tell you what we're talking about this morning? And she said she had trouble with what she was going to do. She couldn't get away from this. So we both had confirmation that we're on the right track. So uh, it's exciting to have the Lord and the Holy Spirit put things together. It's happened with Ian and me before. I just get excited when I see that happen. Because you, so, you know sometimes when you get up here to do this and to teach, you believe what you've got's right, you pray about it, you pray in the Spirit. And I've walked through the door and got down and sat down and we've got a change of course. But you want to make sure you hear it rightly. You want to hear it correctly. And you do it correct. So I'm excited about this morning. It's, I'm going to have fun with it. I've got some great helpers. You know me, I love object lessons. And that's what we're going to have. So um, there's some things that have concerned me here in, this, in my life. You know, I see a trend. And it's happened in history in our country. But other, other people have run into this where... We see generations that become kind of self-centered. Things happen in history to kind of change that and get us hooked together, but we tend to, when things are over with, we kind of tend to go back to our own little worlds. We live in our own little worlds. We look for our own little desires. We kind of have a trouble with that, and I've seen that more lately than I've ever seen it in my life. You know, um, 65 will be 66, and that's not forever, but... In my lifetime, I've seen that trend. You know, it's kind of a high and low thing with people. They need, a, they need something to hook together with, and when that happens and it's taken care of, they tend to kind of go on their own little way. And I can't believe in society and in our world, and part of it is the phone and the Facebook and the stuff, and the, there is so much going on to satisfy yourself. The ads on TV, the things you see, you know, it's to satisfy yourself. And it's, it's amazing to me how self-centered we're getting. And brothers and sisters, the body of Christ is mimicking what the world's doing. And unfortunately, it's kind of going that way. And you see it too. I know you do because you're shaking your head. Well, history, in, 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 in the world side, history tends to kind of can dictate things that will cause that to kind of be put aside, that self-centeredness. Um, I want to bring up some pictures. I've got some photos here, and I want to see if you guys can help me with it. Um, does anybody know who this is? Rosie the Riveter. Now, you guys may not know who that is. And, yeah, Rosie the Riveter. You know. She's been studying it. Does everybody know who this lady is? This was a time in this country's life that was really rough. You know, this was World War II. You know, this, this country had just got through fighting World War I, and not much longer, the same clowns that were trying to take over and do things show back up. And they're here back again. So we've got a generation that had dealt with it somewhat in their lives earlier, and they hear this happens again, because the original, the World War I, they thought that was the war to end all wars. That's what they said. Well, this one came along, and it was just, they called it a world war because it was. You know, there was just nonsense going all over the place. Well, when that happens, and I can remember my dad talking about it, because I was born in 54, so the war was over with. But I can remember my dad talking about it. And, and of course, in history, you read about it. But it needed every hand on deck. Everybody had to fight this war. It was such a mammoth war because we were in the Atlantic and the Pacific fighting two different great countries that were trying to do things and we had to spread everything so thin and meanwhile we get attacked on our own homeland in Pearl Harbor you've heard of that attack and because of 
the need of men, physical strength men, to go to war and, you know, God bless them. <laughs> they called us the greatest generation involved in this. We're losing guys. You know, we weren't ready for that war. We just got through with the first one and kind of got last Ignacio and everybody got party and everybody got the horse around and got selfish and doing their own little thing and tried all this nonsense with prohibition and all these other things and just party, party, party. They were backed off the army and all the, the military wasn't ready. And the Japan, Japan knew that and they went after us at Pearl Harbor and just blew the socks off of that harbor and just killed, 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 destroyed ships. I can't imagine how scared everybody was. I can remember my dad talking about playing golf on Sunday instead of going to church, which he usually did. He was down at Ray Park, down on the south side of Terre Haute, and there was a Paul Cox airfield across where South High School's at. And I can remember my dad, they were playing golf. Of course, nobody had phones and cell phones and the radios weren't on. They were just out playing golf on a great Sunday morning. And I can remember him talking about a P-51 fighter plane was trying to land. Now, I don't know if you know what that is. It's a dual fuselage, kind of a wild-looking thing, massive fighter plane. It was trying to land at Paul Cox Field, and it was flying over at Bray Park, and they could hear these big engines just roaring, and the, the, the runway wasn't long enough for it to land. And the, the plane finally took back off. Well, it was so chaotic during that time they didn't know what was going on. So anybody, any, air, every air Force plane was involved, was available, was getting in the air. They didn't know where they were going to go. It was just scary. Well, all the guys had to go to war. Everybody had to go. And that meant that somebody had to make ships, planes, guns, ammunition, all these things. And this, this was the driving force of this picture, of, there's, a, a, there's a picture of a gal working on an airplane with a rivet machine, and they call her Rosie the Riveter. And this is actually a, uh, who's the artist that does, Norman Rockwell. This is his rendition of Rosie the Riveter, and it's, it was their motivator. You know, we can do this. Women had to go work in factories, and there was Shortages of metal, so they didn't have any new cars. They needed every scrap of iron, every scrap of metal you could have. They had metal drives. They needed tires. You couldn't get tires for your car. They rationed gasoline. But what happened was everybody came together, and it was a common cause. It was a common goal. They pulled together. So your selfishness got set aside. I remember my dad talking. He was a salesman, drove a car to make a living selling stuff all over Indiana, he only could get so much gas, he couldn't get new tires, he couldn't get any new cars, and even parts to fix the cars were hard. He had a hard time making a living. It just was really scary, but you didn't care. You didn't care. You did what you had to do. Now my dad couldn't go to war because he only had one eye, but towards the end of the war, he actually was looked at for maybe doing some clerical work or something. But um, we've talked about her dad lied about his age to get into war, my uncle did, uh, Roger Waterman, they used to come here, his dad, they were all the same age, lied about to get into the war. Everybody, all hands on deck. We got to destroy this evil. But it was a common cause. So everybody pulled together. You forgot about yourself, and you went to the common cause or the common goal. Well then, <clears throat> that got taken care of. Got that nonsense. Then we kind of had a, a little bit of a lull, and we have another war. But it's more of a, not a big time war that everybody got involved with. It was Korean War. Anybody remember hearing about reading about Korean War? That one was more of a, they called it a police action and a conflict. And it was okay, but and there was still still generation that involved in World War II that got involved in that. And they did pretty good with that, but it still was different, and it didn't, the country was kind of behind it, but not really. So people kind of sort of helped, but not as much as they did in World War II. So that selfishness is still kind of there. Well, that gets fixed, and then comes along the really disastrous time in our lives in the history of the Vietnam War. And that mess caused division and caused problems, and you can tell by reading about that, there wasn't much support of that. So that all hands on deck, common goal thing is kind of almost gone. Everybody's kind of thinking to themselves, they want to do their own free love, the hippie movement comes up, all these things kind of come out of that mess because nobody wanted to be a part of that. They didn't think it was right. 
Well, we had Desert Storm, we had a lot of conflicts that caused trouble. Well, then something happened that came along here in our generation that's kind of a little scary. You think of World War II, what happened? What really stirred things up, we got attacked. We got attacked on our homeland. So we all know what this is. We got attacked. All right. We've got a common goal. The country pulls together. It doesn't matter what's going on. Politics aside, this was an attack. You know, they took those out. They took out the Pentagon and tried to take it out. They tried to take out the, the White House, but thank God there was some fearless people on that plane that stopped that plane from getting to that point. So you can see selfishness got set aside. Here we go, just like World War II. That common goal, that common um, cause showed back up. People pulled together. Those people on that plane that gave their lives to stop it, <laughs> selfishness was not an issue. Nope, we're done. You know, we're not thinking of ourselves. So we, we go through society and we go through time. Now this has happened in the world's way and we've kind of gone highs and lows, highs and lows in that. But over time, over time, everybody kind of goes back to their selfishness. You know, that's become a political problem. You know, there's all kinds of nonsense about that. You know, you hear all kinds of stuff, and I'm thinking, what am I, here am I, why am I hearing this junk? What, we got attacked, you know? Why would you not just get your dander up when you hear about that? Just think about it. You know, what, 3,000 people got killed at that point right there, and at the Pentagon was a bunch, and then the ones that ended up in the farm ground crashing the plane, and then six or 7,000 soldiers fighting the fight to go after those clowns. Just think of that. It should make us have a common goal, right? It should bring us together. Well, no, it doesn't. You know, we're more concerned about what we have and the car we drive and, and the things we have and how much money we're making. We're just more concerned about ourselves. It just kind of comes back up. And here we go. The body of Christ tends to mimic that situation. Um, the, the sad thing is the body of Christ has had some opportunities. It's happened before where there's common goals. I was thinking of some timeline kind of thing. And in the 60s and the 70s, there was a healing revival. I mean, I remember when I was a kid hearing about Oral Roberts in the tent meetings and just people getting out of wheelchairs and eyes open and legs growing. And that was kind of in that time period, that revival of pulling together in the body of Christ and believing for that and happening. It just happened. Um, there was a Jesus movement back in the 70s. I was involved in that, going down to uh, a, a, a Expo 72. And it was a, a uh, two or three day revival thing down at the Cotton Bowl. When I was a teenager, we went down there. Um, it was a great big thing, and there was a bunch of people there. Campus Crusade for Christ put it on, and there was just kids, and they were all praising the Lord together. And it was that Jesus movement. You know, it was just kind of, it showed up. Yeah, it kind of drifted away. And the faith movement, that would be in the 70s and the 80s. It starts showing up. You know, P Pastor or Reverend Hagen got his marching orders and went to town. And the faith word became live and became rolling out and became taught more and taught more. And, you know, this church is a derivative of that faith movement, if you want to call it that. Well, the body of Christ was kind of pulling together. Not everybody, but some. And, and what did it do? It caused division on other sides because we didn't all agree with each other. Well, we don't agree with that. We don't agree with speaking in tongues. We don't agree with healing. So we get this nonsense going on in this Christian body of Christ we live in, going different directions. We get selfish, right? The common goal gets lost. Well, I think we have been given the tools and the information to fix that and keep it fixed and get on track. So I'm kind of talking about teams, being a team together, team player. So I've got some great team members here. If they'll come up and help me this morning, 
I'll have you guys come over on this side, I think. Now, all these great young athletes are parts of teams, or have been parts of teams. They play different kinds of, most of it's a ball ball. Um, aren't they a good-looking bunch? I had them wear their jerseys if they had some. Everybody know who this guy is? We're happy to have Timothy with us this weekend. Each one of these uh, young people brought their instrument of choice of playing with them. Let's start down here with, uh, let's start down with, with you, Emily. Uh, Emily's not part of a team right now, but she had played. I, if you remember, she had some awards last year for the volleyball team she was on. Um, so I want to ask her some questions. Uh, Emily, how many players are on a volleyball team? Six, exactly. Do you play one position when you're playing or different positions? Different? Could you play all the positions on that team if you needed to? You can't do it by yourself, no. But can you physically, if you needed to play one of the other positions, any of the positions on that, you could play? Okay. Did they have you practice? Okay. Did they practice together as a team? Did you get to practice by yourself? You, but you really worked better when you were together, right? Okay, did you, when you first started playing volleyball, were you very good at it? Did you get better when you practiced? Okay, so the more you practiced, the better you got. Okay, did the team get better when they practiced? So when they practiced together, they got better. So when you played the game, you were better at it. Did you kind of know your players and your friends pretty good that you knew if you tipped the ball to somebody, they could probably get it back over the net. Pretty confident because they knew what to do with their spot and their position. Okay. Unfortunately, she didn't bring a, a volleyball with her, but that's okay. All right, Michaela, you want to grab the tool of your choice? And fortunately, we've been able to watch Michaela play some. She plays softball. And uh, do you happen to know how many is on a team? 11 or 12, you get a choice of that because some slow pitch has more than others. Is that it? Okay. I think it's 11 is what, but anyhow, 9 would be some on a regular baseball team. So when you first started playing, were you very good? No. What got you better? Practicing. Did you, and I know this is a, for a fact, that your dad helped you practice at home on your own? But did you guys practice as a team? Okay. Can you play about any position on the, on the, on the uh, field? You can. Can you play them all at once? No. Okay. Do you need the other guys there on your team? You do. Because that's a big field, isn't it? Um, she's, you've pitched. You've played base, different positions. So the team needs you playing, right? And they need you to get good, don't they? Now, you have some players that aren't so good. Oh, it's okay. They're not here. They're not going to hold it to you. <laughs> Do you wish they were better? Do you think they practice enough? Not really. Do you think if they practiced, they would be better at it? Okay. All right. Thank you. This young man here picks, picked a, a soccer, what do you have? Oh, yes. We've got a soccer guy. Mr. Gabe, can you tell me how many guys are on a soccer team? I need on the field. Eleven on the field. Now, I know you have different positions on your team that you play when you play. Um, what do you tend to pay, play the most position? Defense, Okay. Do you have other guys on the team that play other positions? Okay. Do you practice playing defense? Okay. Do you guys get to practice as a team together? All right. Do you like playing soccer? All right. Do you wish you could play another position? Really? 
You like playing defense. Why do you like that? So what happens if you don't guard the goal? So if he doesn't do his job, the other team scores points, right? So it's not a glamorous position he's got, but it defense is a, in this game he plays, the defense is really important. Of course, his other guys have some players that will be trying to make goals on the other side, but did you hear what he said? If he's not paying attention, not doing his job, it can get by him and score a goal. And his job is to stop that. All right. Miss Abby. All right. Miss Abby. She's a softball gal. You've played a lot of the positions, haven't you? Yeah, we, you can talk. Yes? Thank you. <laughs> We've watched Abby play, too, and it's, it's fun. And not that Michaela doesn't, but Abby plays with so much passion. And just, it's Abby, you know? It's fun to watch. And I see her dad just grinning, because she just, she's having a good time out there. Um, do you get to practice playing softball? Like with your dad and with your sister? Throwing it and catching it? Practice hitting? Yeah. Okay. You're pretty good at that. I appreciate that. But do you practice with your team? Yeah. And you enjoy that? Do you practice different positions? Yes. Okay. Does your coach want you to do that? Practice different positions? Okay. Now, your coach tells you where he wants you to play, right? They move you around. Um, we were watching one game with Abby, and the other team they were playing were short players. So the next thing we know, Abby's over playing for the other team. against <laughs> our team. You know what, though? She played just as hard as the other team. Because she had it, she knew what she needed to do. So we really enjoyed that. Thank you. If you want to go on downstairs, you can. Mr. Austin. See, the cool part about Austin is he gets to have his name on the back. That's pretty slick. <laughs> um, what's the name of the team you play for? Eastside Spartans. All right. Now, what, what position do you play? Uh, I play tight end and linebacker. Okay. So he tends to be not touching the ball. You, I know you guys may not, some of you know football, but you know, tight end or linebacker a lot of times is usually kind of like Gabe's talking about his defense. You know, he's a pretty good-sized guy, so they're going to use him to get somebody else out of the way. Um, but I know when you first started playing, were you very good at it? No. No. Have you gotten better with practice? Yes. You have. Do you enjoy practicing? Yes. Okay. Do you enjoy hitting people? Yes. <laughs> I can tell you for a fact, the beginning, that wasn't the word. It was kind of timid and, you know, that would have been a problem. <laughs> Not anymore. He, mo he almost enjoys the bruises. I love it. <laughs> So, how many guys are on a football team, on the, on the, on the field? Eleven. Eleven guys. Is everybody just as important? Are you just as important as the other ten? Yes. And somebody else on the other is just as important as you? On what? On the team, on, yeah. the, on the field. Yes. Um, if you don't do your job correctly, is there somebody to take your spot? No. So, what happens if you don't do your job? We don't... Do good. You don't do good. If other guys on the team don't do their job, what happens? We also don't do good. That's right. You know, in football, uh, a good coach will look at the team they're playing and look for weaknesses. They'll look to see who's not real good, not maybe strong enough, maybe has a hard time, is, is not playing correctly, and they'll key on that, and they'll make somebody, they'll make adjustments to Unfortunately, go after that person because that's a weakness. Now, we don't want weaknesses, do we? No. Now, we want, I'm not talking about machoism. I'm talking about doing the job right, doing their job, their position, and learning it and practicing and learning that spot. Okay? All right. You got a ball? Yeah. 
Mr. Timothy uh, isn't from around here. He's from the big city of Indianapolis. Um, plays for Ben Davis, junior oh, high. Isn't that part of Ben Davis? Yeah. Ben Davis. What position do you play? Um, on offense, I play left guard, and on defense, I play left tackle. All right. And those, knowing football, those are linemen, again, like Timothy, you get to bang on people and push them around and have a good time and grunt, get dirty, play in the mud. Yeah. But in football, this guy, these two guys here, because they're called linemen, they line up against each other. You know, the, the, the goal is to, to score, right? That's how you play the game is to score. And if they don't do their job, there isn't any scoring going on. And if they're playing defense and they don't do their job, there's a whole lot of scoring going on the wrong way. So these guys are just as crucial. They're not flamboyant. You know, they're not, they're not uh, Peyton Manning, but they keep Peyton Manning from getting hurt and things get done. So you've all heard of Peyton Manning, right? So these guys have all, have you gotten better practicing? Yeah. You've gotten better as you've gotten play and play. You like playing, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty fun. Oh, yeah, he likes it very much. The thing I can't believe, in the same way with these guys in Austin, but <laughs> they grow up. But, all right, guys, thank you so much. Let's give them a hand. They're all part of a team, right? And um, they practice, and they have to practice. But something I want you to think about, they've all got their positions they play on whatever team they play on. And they have coaches, and they have managers, and the coaches tell them where to play, what position they want them to play. Good coaches see their physical ability, speed, size, strength, and they make decisions where they want them to be because they know they're part of the team and part of, the, of the, the unit that's playing, but they have a specific job that they're going to be good at because of something he sees in them. But again, every team has to practice, has to practice getting better, has to practice their positions, the, the things they need to do. Let's look at Isaiah 1.17 in the... Uh, did I tell you Amplified? Okay. Now this is a great scripture, but I only want the one part. The part that says, learn to do right. Yeah, King James says, learn to do well. So, when you're playing with a team and for a team, you need to take the responsibility to learn to do whatever your position is right. Whatever your job is to learn to do it right and to learn to do it well. All right? Now, um, when they joined a team, they made a commitment. Each one of these guys and kids that came up here joined a team, whatever that team was, they made a commitment to the team that they would play for them, to coaches, and, and they said, yes, I will, and, and I've played football, and I played basketball, and, and I remember some kids would get playing, and they'd get frustrated, and they'd leave because it was too hard. So their commitment went away. They didn't really make a commitment. But the ones that stayed, they made a commitment to it. And when they made that commitment to the team, you could t hear them talking about it, the team started to get unified, started to come together. As the team practiced and got better at their position, as the team they practiced and got better, they learned their spot, they learned their position, the team became one, they became more unified. They could depend on each other to do their job. When you're playing football, when you're playing other games like that, you depend on your other team members to do their job because it's a, it's a team sport but they became unified. They became kind of one when they're playing. In fact, in some sports, they'll call, and football's one, they'll call it a unit. The defensive unit, the offensive unit, the special team unit. I like that because that unit signifies they're unified. They have a position, they have a job to do. 
They come out as a team. They're unified together. I want to show you a picture of a gentleman in sports. It's a sports theme today. Does anybody know who this guy is? I know it's, it's, it's probably haven't heard of him. His name's Johnny Manziel. Sometimes he has been nicknamed Johnny Football. So this young man played for Texas A&M College, was a quarterback, a red shirt quarterback, which means he wasn't the starting quarterback, he was kind of a supporting quarterback. And something happening in, in, in one of the Cotton Bowl games he was in, their team, and he came along and just took the team and beat a team that they shouldn't have beat and was amazing and was a star and he's got all kinds of talent. He's very smart. He's a great quarterback. And took that team and beat USC in a Cotton Bowl in 2012 and that shouldn't have happened. So what happens? He gets all kinds of accolades. He becomes a star overnight, in other words. Um, he actually won. If, if, do you know what the Heisman Trophy is for some of, in college that trophy is the, the goal of a college player it's the best of the best it can be it could be a lineman it could be a defensive end it could be a quarterback that the country watches that in sportscasters and everybody watches the teams play and the best of the best that person is signified with that and he got the Heisman Trophy winner trophy when he was younger that's not usually happened usually it's almost their seniors I was reading about him. He had five awards given that same year because of all his great things he did. Now, he's a pretty good football player. We move ahead a little bit. He goes into the NFL draft. He gets drafted by the Cleveland Browns. Well, meantime, in college, he had some problems. In fact, I told Shar, I can't remember what I read about him. It was either his dad or his grandma his mom had said they were concerned about him, what would happen to him when he got in the limelight, when he got all this recognition. Well, he gets all these great accolades, and he's at all these banquets and given these trophies, and everybody's patting him on the back, and they give him, they give him this nickname, Johnny Football. I mean, good grief, how, how great can that be? So his head's swelling up. He's all about himself, and he starts making bad choices. I mean, he's out, gets caught drunk and partying and messing up and no driver's license and constantly making bad choices. So he gets drafted by the Cleveland Browns and what's kind of ironic, somebody this good and the NFL draft comes along and usually the, the, the lousiest team the year before gets to pick first and they would go after the best of the best because they have an opportunity to get the first pick. Usually it's the best person. Well, Johnny Manziel should have been that person. The Cleveland Browns kind of fumbled around and didn't pick him till the 22nd position. And to, not the reason of his playing ability was all the baggage this guy had. So he gets picked, and he's going to be their quarterback. The Cleveland Browns are a terrible team. Uh, if, they're your, if they're your team, I'm sorry, but they're really bad. And they pick this guy, and they make him their quarterback. And they start working him and getting him going, and he's starting to work and do the things and practices, and they start playing. And he keeps, he keeps messing up. But meantime, before he actually gets playing much, he's already on commercials on television. They had this guy, and I forget, there was, I don't know, Home Depot commercials and other commercials, and they got Johnny Football, Johnny Football. You know, and he's in front of everybody, and they're all patting him on the back, and the girls are around him, and he's enjoying the limelight. Meanwhile... This knucklehead doesn't really study his playbook. So when he starts playing with him, starts practicing, he's not really right on the same page as everybody. And you can tell, as time goes on, this young man's life is a mess and has become a mess. They let him go because they found out later he didn't study the playbook because he didn't need to. I'm Johnny Football. Why do I need to? That's selfishness. So he lost track of that common goal, that common cause, that unity that the team was looking for. He lost track of the ability to help that team, to do his part, to play his position, to practice and get the best at it, because he didn't need to. I mean, I'm, I'm exceptional. I just got it all. I don't have to practice. I don't have to do all this. Have you heard of Mickey Mantle? I read about Mickey Mantle, great baseball player for the Yankees, a phenomenal hitter, 
I read about him. He drank a lot. Drank, 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 drank. But played baseball and hit records is unamazing. And as life went on, his health caught up with him. And he, talk, he talked about it. He said, if I, I can't imagine what I've been able to do if I had straightened up and took care of myself. Because he was a talent. He had a natural talent. But again, he lost track of being on that common goal. He thought of himself only. Well, I've got another one here I want us to look at. You may recognize this young man. Everybody know who this is? It's Larry Bird. Everybody, this is kind of a hometown area for us. Everybody knows Larry Bird and what he was about. Basketball player from French Lick, skinny, bony guy, six foot nine, 220, which is very thin. He ended up playing at ISU, took ISU to an undefeated season all the way to the NCAA championship, lost the last game. As things happened with Larry Bird, I've read about Larry Bird, phenomenal player, unbelievable. It said he's amazing what his talent was, but he said he didn't have talent. He said, I am not talented. Now, Larry Bird, even in high school, would be the first one at the practices and to stay over the last one out the door. He would, if the coach told him to run three laps, he would run five. If the coach wanted them to work on three throws, take 10 minutes each, he would do his 10 minutes, and then after they were done practicing, he's out there for another hour shooting free throws. If they wanted him to do some kind of dribbling drill, he would go the extra mile and do it more. Now, Larry Bird didn't do this for the self-gratification of, look at me, look at me. Larry Bird because of his work ethic, and he understood what being part of the common goal was, brought the teams he played for up. When he played in French Lick, it was an amazing high school team. When he gets to ISU, I can remember watching him when he first started playing. He was so far ahead of everybody, the way he thought and how he practiced, he would throw passes behind his back to his other players, and they're just standing there getting hit by the ball like, where did that come from? But what happened, because of his practicing and getting better at his position and his job and learning and working at it, it raised the rest of the team up with him. And the other players, they won games, had an undefeated season that year. They won games that wasn't him winning it. It was another player making a clutch shot. The, the whole team became, to play, became better because of him, because of how he played because of how he practiced, his work ethic, his practice ethic, his shooting, his studying, his, his comprehension. They call it court awareness. In basketball, you just, players that are really good see the whole place. They see the whole court. They, they just kind of like tunnel vision's gone, and they're really good at it. He was exceptionally good at that. And that year, ISU won everything they played. Some of them were buzzer beaters. It was amazing. It was fun. But what happened in this whole community in this whole community, every basketball team, high school, grade school, started playing better. They had this goal because it was a common goal. This guy, because of his work ethics, he understood what the common goal was to help your team, to be a part of the team, but be the best you can be for the team. And other high school teams started playing better. It was the wildest place to be where basketball was concerned in this. It was, it was amazing. Little teams that didn't do much, and you'd see kids striving to do those passes that Larry Bird did. You'd see him practicing it. It was, we had a son when, he, when, he, when Charles started playing basketball. They're all, and this is long after Larry Bird's playing in the NBA, they're all trying those crazy things and crazy through-the-leg dribbles. But that work ethic, that common goal, carried over so much because he understood what that meant. Whereas Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, it's all about me. It's all about me. Look at me, look at me. Now, Larry Bird, you know, he went on to be in the NBA, played for the Celtics. They won three championships with him. He messed his back up, had to, had to quit. He's won all kinds of awards, but he still, he's even helps the Indiana Pacers now as a team advisor, but Larry Bird is team-oriented. His mindset was that. Now, that's, that's a worldly person. But he was driven. He understood what his job was. But what did he do? He practiced at it. He practiced at the tools he had to work with. He practiced the skills he needed to have to help the team. 
to be unified, to become one. Let's, um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to, I told Shar when I was looking at this, I know he didn't ask me, but I think he put Corinthians backwards here when he put it together. I want you to start with verse 12. No, excuse me, verse 14. To me, it's out of order here, but that's my thinking. So we're going to start at verse 14 of chapter 12 and go through 20. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. Uh, that's okay. There we go. For the body does not consist of one limb or organ, but of many. The foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body. Would it be therefore not a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Would it be therefore not a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed and arranged the limbs and organs in the body, each particular one of them, just as he wished, and saw fit and with the best, best adaption. But if the whole, but if the whole were all a single organ, where would the body be? And now there are certainly many limbs and organs, but a single body. He's using this illustration of a physical body. All these different parts, all these different pieces. But each one obviously is important. It takes each one to make the body to function. Just like we're talking about the teams playing ball, playing games. You teach each one to do their job for it to function properly. Teams that play and practice and do well and each member becomes better are amazing and they're hard to beat because they are a unit, they are one body. And there's, I know we've talked about them, the New England Patriots, you've heard of that football team, good or bad. It's amazing what that stupid team can do. They lose a player, they lose a guy, they, a, the guy quits, the next person steps in and the team has this mindset, has a common goal, and they just go again. It doesn't matter who they've got playing with them or the member in that team. They learn the common goal. They learn what they're supposed to do, and that team excels amazingly. There's lots of reasons for it, but it's a good example of what um, God's talking about here in the body. There's lots of members, but each one is crucial to the whole body. Now let's look at verse 12 and 13, because I think it should be after the others. For just as the body is a unit, is a unit and has yet has many parts, and all the parts, though many, form only one body. So it is with Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. For by means of a personal agent of the Holy Spirit, we were all, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, baptized, and by baptism united together into one body, and all made to drink of one Holy Spirit. See what I mean? We should talk about the physical example. See, it's backwards. He should have asked me when he wrote this. I said, no, you need to move this around. See, you don't agree with me. I knew that. So, what did we find out? The coach put the physical body together so it worked right, right? The coach tells the team members where they're going to play. Each one has their ability. Each one has physical attributes. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to play here. I want you this position. Well, the coach looked at the parts that he had to work with and put this together. Well, the eye fits here better. This eye works. This ear over here is the best place for a right ear. It should go on the right side, and the left ear should go on the left ear. It should go on the left side. These fingers and toes should be in little different sizes because you can't pick things up with toe size things up here. I mean, the coach put the, the body, the team together correctly, correct? But what's this telling us here? That example is what he's talking about, that the Holy Spirit 
put us together as a body. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, accept him into your life, you become one of a body, correct? You become a piece of the body. You become a toe. You become a finger. You become an ear. You become a nose, a hair, and some of them less. But you have a chance. You become a part of a body. You become a part of something that has a common cause and a common goal. You are part of that. Now, you have a part to play in that, right? And so many times, so many times, and you've seen it in your life, people get saved, and that seems to be it. They stop right there. And I'm not talking about them taking that, getting saved, and they should get, and they should, but getting involved in church and helping with this and helping with that and doing things. I'm talking about nothing happens in their life to give them stability so that they still keep that common goal, that common cause of what they're a part of. They end up going back on their own. And how many times have you seen people in your lives, and maybe it's happened to you, it's happened to me, where you, you know, we call it kind of backsliding. What's happened? You don't keep hooked up. Life becomes, everybody has life involving them, going at them all the time. You know, there's linebackers coming at us. There's, there's quarterbacks throwing the ball in the wrong place. We've got uh, a center fielder that won't catch a ball. We've got a, a catcher that won't catch a ball. We've got a, uh, a soccer player that just doesn't want to play right. That happens in your life. But what happens to you when that happens? Does that mean that you all of a sudden back off and you quit? And even though you've got the greatest gift there was and you're part of the greatest coach putting together the best body there is through the Holy Spirit, and you decide, well, you know, I don't need to work at it. I'm, I'm already accepted. I'm part of it. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. Well, what's, what's happened here? Because you're part of a body, just as much as those kids are part of a team, he had a design for you to be part of that body to do something. Now, I'm not saying so much as doing physically something, but doing something with him. We've forgotten how to learn of him and to get ourselves hooked up with him and get full of him and do our part in the body. So what happens when we were talking about before, that common goal happens, just like in, in the worldly way, we have wars and rumors of wars and things happen in great big, like World War II and 9-11, those things bring us together as a human race. But what happens to us in the Christian body then when things kind of calm down and maybe there's not a great big spiritual revival going on right now, and we tend to kind of back down and think about ourselves a lot. We're not practicing getting ourselves ready. We're not practicing seeking God. We're not practicing studying. We're not practicing getting into the Word. We're not practicing praying in the Spirit. We forgot how to get ourselves prepared. These guys practice for what may happen. If they don't get ready for what may happen, when it happens, they're not ready for it, right? Each one of these players, the position they play, if Timothy doesn't do his job as a lineman and doesn't practice at it and work at it and get good at it, and some big fullback comes running through and runs over top of him, he hasn't done his job. There was a hole, and it, they'll end up scoring whatever's going to happen. And it was his fault. He had the opportunity. He was in the right place. He was where he's supposed to be. He was doing what he was supposed to be, but he, he wasn't prepared. He hadn't practiced. He hadn't trained. He hadn't accepted that responsibility. I have, a, I have a job to do here, and it's my job. I'm the defense. I'm going to stop that. You're in that position in the body of Christ. You have opportunities. You have places you can go. You have people you see, but you're the one. You're the toe. You're the finger. You're the lineman. You're the quarterback. You're the, you're the defensive goalie. You're, you're whatever it is on the team. You're part of the team, and you have a part to play, and you've been designed to play that part. But there's a word I want to spend a few minutes with. Um, let's look at Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Sharon.
Matthew eleven twenty nine, Amplified. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek, gentle, meek, and humble, low in heart, and you will find rest, relief, ease, and refreshment, recreation, and blessed quiet of your souls. And what I want to look at, I want us to look at verse 29 where it says, and learn of me. Now, so many times we spend time um, learning what Jesus did. This is Jesus speaking here. Take my yoke. My yoke's easy. My, what, I te- what I have is easy. You can do it. It gives you comfort. My blessings are full of comfort. Everything I have is full of comfort. But we spend time studying what Jesus did, which is good. We understand what he did, and the places he went, and how he did things. And He spoke to the thousands. He, fed, he blessed the fish, and the, and the apostles passed it out, and they fed multitudes with two little fish, fish and, and, and bread. But what we don't do in the body of Christ, is learn of him. We don't take time to learn of Jesus. We don't take time to enter into him, what he's about, what he's really about. We, we don't get to look like him because we don't take time practicing being him. You guys are him, but you have to practice being him. You have to practice what, you've heard that, remember that saying, what would Jesus do? You know, we have to kind of get that mindset, said, what would Jesus think? How would Jesus think about this situation? We've got to start adapting and getting used to and thinking like him. He's the coach. He's the one that put us together. He put us in the body. He put us in the spot we're in. We're part of the body, the body of Christ. We're in a position we're at. There's a reason he needs us here, but we still got to know the, the mindset. I talked about the New England Patriots. The mindset is their coach, Bill Belichick. That team's mindset is what that guy is. And like him or not, he has conveyed what's in here and what he wants done to each and every one of those players. So they have that common goal and that common desire to be like him because he knows the best. He's the coach. He knows what they should be doing. So we got to look at our coach and realize he knows us better than anybody, but we need to know him. Not just know of him, but learn of him. What's it say? Learn of me. Not just what I did. Not where I went. Not my history. Learn of me. Because what I've got is gentle, is great, is meek, it's humble. It's everything that's God in me. You've got to get used to practicing learning who he is in you. Not the actions, not the behavior, not your actions, not your behavior, but your inside, your heart, your word. Everything that makes you up, makes you Ian, makes you Stephanie, is Jesus in you. And practice on learning that, seeing him, finding out, find about what he wants you to do. Key on him. And the word I want to talk about... Um, is covenant. There's contract and there's a covenant. In kind of a small way, when these guys go to play for a team and they get that uh, common goal, they actually make a covenant with the rest of their players. And let's look, I found finally what I was looking for. A contract is an agreement between two parties. We've got contracts and covenants. A lot of times they get mixed up. A contract is an agreement between two parties, while a covenant is a pledge. So a contract is a document, basically, that you sign. When Char and I got married uh, 42 years ago in two weeks, we signed a marriage license. We signed a contract that we agreed to be married and what all that meant. But we also made a covenant with each other that we would do our part for each other. I'm going to get this. This is a contract. To get out of a contract is very difficult. Once you do a contract, contract, you get married, things don't work out, you have to have a divorce. It takes a lot to go get the divorce taken care of because it's not the covenant that you made that's getting broken. It's the contract that has to be legally dealt with and all the things that go with that. But a covenant, again, is a pledge. A covenant is an agreement you can break while a covenant is a perpetual promise. 
A covenant is an agreement you can break. So you have the position. The covenant is what you agree to do. It's a promise you made. I made a promise to her that I would take care of her. I would learn of her. I would find out about her, get to know her, get to know her likes and dislikes, get to know what she wants in her life and what she would like to see as a goal. And I needed to learn that. And it took years and it's taken years and I'm still learning it. But that's in that covenant. The marriage license, the contract, has nothing to do with that. We could be married and not participate in the covenant, still be married. Wouldn't be very fun. Wouldn't be good. So the difference between that is a covenant. So what happens when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've heard of the word covenant in the Bible. Well, he made a covenant with you. I will give you everything I am. And you accept me as your Lord. All I've got is all yours. No strings attached. I don't care. I give you everything I have. Everything. And he made a promise. It's a promise he made to us. So we get it all, right? But, listen to this. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship. Right? A contract, you look for something, they're going to do something, and you're going to receive something. I give you something, you give me something back. A contract is set up that way that you promise to give, the other person's going to receive, the other person's going to give, they're going to receive. A covenant is something you fulfill. When you have a covenant mindset, just like God does, no matter what goes on, I promise you I will do my do everything I can for you. I promise I'll give you everything I can. I'll do everything I can to help you. But it's something you have to fulfill. So when you make a covenant agreement like these gentlemen here and girls to play on that team, they are making a promise to their other teammates that I will do the best I can. I will learn my spot. I will practice and get the best I can at it. I will do everything I can to do my job. They didn't sign a contract. They agreed to play but they've actually made a covenant with their other team members. Just like when you joined the body of Christ, you made a covenant with the body that you're part of. You made a promise to the body because you joined it by choice. God gave you everything he had. He made the covenant back to you. You're all mine. Everything I've got is yours. But you've got all these other members you're part of now. And you have responsibility to them. And you've made a promise to them by joining the body of Christ that I'll do my part. I'll learn to do my part. I'll practice my part. I'll practice being the best big toe there is. I'll practice being the best little toe there is. That's my position. That's my spot. I make a promise to you. I make a promise to the body of Christ because I have joined it that I will put everything I have to learn of the Father, learn of Christ, learn of Him, and become like Him so I can be the best big toe there is. My job is being a big toe, keep balance. That's where I'm at. So, the covenant is, is out of God's love. You know, if you think of a contract as one thing, but the covenant is God's love. His love pouring out to us. Just as much as my covenant with her is my love pouring out to her. And hers back to me. Sure, we mess up. Sure, I'm not there when I need to be. I've, over the years, messed up, not been there when I'm supposed to be, not done the right thing, forgot something. She was depending on me to be somewhere, do something, and I spaced it. As time went on, I got better at that. First, we've just been married, what, a week or two when Billy's car broke down? We were living at an end of a lane in a, an old farmhouse. It was a half a mile lane off a county road down by Prairton. And the house was way back at the end. There's nothing else back there but our house. And I worked in a garage, and I'm coming home from work, and she's expecting me. It was a Saturday, maybe? I forget. I'm, I'm supposed to be home, and we're newlyweds, you know? Waiting for me to get home. I'm all excited. Probably got dinner going. I can't wait till you get here. Watching the clock. You know, I'll be here any time. You know, no cell phones or anything. So I'm... Mr. Marty, you know, I get there, and our landlord's, I think his car or his, grand, his daughter's car or somebody's car broke down, down at the end of our driveway. Now, was it brothers? Okay. They, couldn't, they were working on it. Now, you couldn't see the house 
from the end of the road. I mean, it was winding through the woods. It was great. I just loved it. We walked on that. It was a great place. Great place for newlywed. That was just awesome. So I'm down there, and I get there, and I just got out of the garage where I worked at in Terre Haute, and I'm down there, and I'd actually worked on our landlord's car from, for him some. Well, I can help you fix this. So I'm down there for a half hour, 45 minutes. I don't know, for an hour. We get this thing going. I'm all excited, you know. I got to help him out, you know, because he, he really, we didn't pay squat for that rent. He, he helped us out get started. And it was amazing. He was just a great guy. But anyhow, so what do I do? I drive up the driveway to a woman in tears and freaked out because I'm an hour late, you know. And all I had to do was Guys, I'll be right back. Drive up the driveway. Hey, Char, I'm going to help him. Billy and his brothers down. His car broke down the end of the driveway. I'll go with you. Whatever. There had been no problem. No, no, no. Mr. Goal here gets this job. I'll get to work. I'll get you. i make the hero. I want to be Marty the hero. And I walk in the door, and the one I'd made the covenant with to promise to her, I broke it. Tore up. Broke her heart. Scared her. You know, here's been married just a few weeks and I'm not there and car wrecks and you know your mind goes goofy. So I didn't I didn't do my job in the covenant. I I I didn't I messed up. So I needed to practice on that part of my covenant with her, on my being the kind of person I need to be. Take that spot that I'm part of that body, we're one body, be that part together and do my best job that I can. I learned, let her know where I'm at, let her know what's going on. It's worth it in the end. <laughs> but see what I'm saying? We are all part of that. And that's what's happened. Um, we need to practice to do well, like it said in Isaiah. And we need to practice to learn of him. Because we have our spots to do. We have our body parts to do. Uh, would you show that last scripture? I, I asked Becky's permission because she, like I said, what she talked about this morning. This is great. Philippians 3.14. And let's look at the message. I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So have your eye on the goal. Your, your goal should be a common goal. Your goal is to do your part for the body of Christ. Your goal is you've made a covenant with each other. We've made covenants with each other. Because we've joined this body. And you're just as much a, a part of the body at the Baptist church as you are at the Christian church, as you are the Church of Christ, as you are at the Lutherans. I mean, it's all the same body. We all have a common goal. We don't have to have some disastrous thing happen in this country to get us back on focus. We have the tools and the ability to keep that steady and strong. When stuff happens like that, and stuff does come at us, we're the defensive one in the right spot. We're the lineman in the right spot. We're the, we're the catcher. We're, the, we're playing the right position. We're where we need to be. We're well-trained. We've been practicing. We've been working at it. We've been listening for his voice. So when things come up, we don't get shook up. Because that's what happens when those disasters happen. You get shook up. You get scared. And we shouldn't be scared. We shouldn't be shook up. We should be ready, and we're part of a team. We're part of the body, and we have a covenant with each other that I have just as much job to be a covenant with those boys right there as I do with you and I do with you to do my part in the body of Christ with each and every one of you because I have a job to do. You have a job to do. So practice. Work at your position. Work at what you do. Work at what you can do. But learn of me. Learn what I'm like personally and learn to do well. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings, your anointing, your giving, everything. And we just thank you that we can receive it, that covenant that you pour out to us with unconditional love, that you just gave it everything to us. But Father, we just thank you that we have an opportunity to be a part of something that you've designed as a coach. You've put things together in the right place at the right time. You've put us in the right place. you put us in the right part. You have us in the right place we need to be. And you look forward to us doing our job and being prepared because you know and you trust us and you see that opportunity. You see who we are because you're in us. We thank that we can receive you and understand you better. We ask that we can learn of you 
personally in everything that you are and fill us up with it. We glorify and honor you with it. We worship you. We lift you up. We thank you for who you are. We thank you we go in your safety and the protection of our travels and go out those doors that we carry our badge of being a part of your body. And we get excited and we walk in it and we can't wait to do the correct things and be full of opportunities and be the right place at the right time. Whoever needs us, wherever you need us. So we thank you for it. We just give you the praise and the glory for it. We worship you with it because we love you and you loved us so much. We just love you back. We know this pleases you and makes you happy that we can be all we need to be for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks, you guys, for coming. Appreciate you sticking time with me. Keep our pastors lifted up as they travel. Did you guys see the Facebook with the scraping the snow off? I was, yeah.